Hey, everybody. So um, this week, uh, <coughs> I met with Dan because uh, he got back from sabbatical. He was here last week. And um, a couple days later, I get a text from him, hey, I'm not feeling good. <laughs> like, well, okay, welcome back. So glad that you're here. So thanks to Tim and the, the team for coming in. Really, really appreciate it. And um, I, I love worship. So yes, thank you. I, they deserve it. They definitely do. <coughs> so anyway, um, <coughs> excuse me. Let's um, make sure that we're praying for Pastor Dan and his family and and uh, um, people who aren't feeling good. You know, it's really weird when you get so hot like this and you're going in and out of air conditioning. It's really not uncommon to get colds and things like that. So, and and I'm fairly certain that something's blooming. Right, because if you've got allergies, whammo, right? My gracious, yeah, it's true. Um, by the way, uh, for those of you who are online, I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is David, and um, for the next 30 minutes or so, I'll be your guide, your Sherpa of Scripture. And uh, last summer, we spent uh, time uh, following the life of David before he became king. And last week, I tried to recap that a little bit, and we talked about this a phrase that's often used to describe David, a man after God's own heart, and we learned that it really is an idiom that means that David was loyal to God, and we talked about that a little bit. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to pick up the story, because we're going to follow David again through um, this uh, uh, summer season, and in the opening chapter of 2 Samuel, uh, David receives word that Saul and his son Jonathan were killed fighting the Philistines. Okay, so David's had this time of it. We'll talk about this in a minute. But, I mean, David's been on the run for a long period of time, and finally he receives word that the guy who's been out for him, the guy that um, has held the job that David is supposed to have, he's, he's finally gone. And it's very interesting what begins to occur. Now, King Saul was Israel's first king, but he lost God's favor. And you can find that in 1 Samuel 15 if you're interested. David was anointed the next king soon after in 1 Samuel 16. And then he spent um, years in this kind of up and down relationship with Saul, who is also his father-in-law. Okay, so if it wasn't complicated enough when we're talking about kings and succession, we also got a family relationship. And let's be honest, family relationships can get a little dicey, can't they? I mean, yeah. And so you've got these, you know, ups and downs in this relationship, and, and, and David's mostly on the run. And it's finally over eh, for the most part, right? Second Samuel chapter 1. And David writes this beautiful lament for King Saul and Prince Jonathan, who was his friend. And he's a poet, David. And so he expresses himself as a poet, writes a song. And so I want to pick up the story in chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app, you might want to punch up um, 2 Samuel chapter 2. But if you don't, that's fine. I'll have it on the screen for you, Okay. So here it is. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked. Now he's living in the land of the Philistines at this point. Just a little odd, but this will make sense. And the Lord said, go up. And David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron. The Lord answered. 
And so David went up there with his two wives, two wives, okay, and, and the men who were with him. And they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. Now this is interesting because Samuel has already anointed David as king, but here's the men of Judah saying, okay, you're the king of our tribe. So this begins a, a process of acknowledgement. So think of it this way. Um, when the United States was first coming into being, um, they had a, a constitution that had to be ratified by each state. In, in some ways, this is like that. So you've got a major tribe. Judah's probably one of the larger tribes. And the, the men of Judah, the leaders of that tribe, go to him and basically ratify him as king. So God has already declared him as king. Now he's being ratified by the tribe. Does this make sense? Yeah? Okay. So that's what's happening here. And he said, you're, you're going to be the king over our particular tribe. Now, Hebron is an interesting place because it's south of both Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So if you kind of know your um, geography of Israel, you kind of know where Jerusalem is. And if you go down south, probably roughly a day's journey is Bethlehem, maybe not quite that far. And then probably another day, day and a half journey on foot or by donkey, I guess, uh, you would have Hebron. And so if you know where the Dead Sea is, it's due west, due west of, of the Dead Sea. And so David's down further south, kind of living in the wilderness, and he moves up to Hebron. And he's anointed um, king and basically ratified by, by the tribe of Judah. And so what he does after this is he begins to consolidate his power because even though God has put his stamp of approval on him, David still has to go through the, pro the po uh, process of human politics. Because you get human beings together and you're going to have politics, right? For whatever reason, that happens. We were talking some, to some friends the other day, and um, it's not supposed to be this way, but there's even politics in church, right? I mean, it happens, and there's no ugly like church ugly, I think. And um, our friends were kind of describing this. And it reminded me that whenever we're, you know, human beings, and we're trying to follow God, you can still have politics in play. And so that's what we, we see here. David still has to go through the political process. And then there's a wrinkle, okay? As if this wasn't complicated enough, there's a little wrinkle that gets added to this. Let's keep reading. Here it is in verse 8. Meanwhile, Abner, which just is a great name for a general, right? General Abner. Okay. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner... <laughs> Is, you know, Abner and Ner, right? Apparently, parents did not like them. Okay, meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, that's how you pronounce it, Ishbosheth, another great name, son of Saul, and made him king over Gilead, Ashuri, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. So, you can see where this is going, right? Judah says, you are our king, and so Abner comes along, grabs the son of Saul. Now, here's the thing. I, you really have to pay attention to the, to the wording here. Who's on the throne? Ishbosheth. But who's the power behind the throne? Abner, right? 
So there's a little politics and there's a whole lot of intrigue going on. Fascinating um, story. So the wrinkle is he sets up essentially a rival throne. So you had um, Saul and then his son Jonathan, who is David's friend, and then Ishbosheth. There may be others, um, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but of course, you're thinking about this. Now, here's what's interesting to me. <clears throat> Please remember that the nation of Israel at this point had only a monarchy for roughly 20 years. Okay? They're new to this. And yet, they seem to embrace this political idea of succession relatively quickly. You understand what I'm saying? You're new to this system of government. Up until this point, you are ruled by God through his judges. And then all of a sudden, you have a king. His name is Saul. And within 20 years, we understand succession. Oh, yeah. We want to make sure that it's bloodlines. And and, and here's the problem with that. And I, I think this is really, really important. never underestimate humanity's desire for power, okay? Don't ever underestimate that. The the pursuit of power begins actually in the Garden of Eden because what happens? The serpent comes, says some some very tempting thoughts, and so it says in the text that um, Eve and then Adam see the fruit that it was pleasing to the eye and it was beneficial because it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm sorry, that's power, right? Did God really say you couldn't eat from the trees? Well, no, God didn't say that. God said we could eat from any tree except for these trees. And there's this subtle sort of um, idea that, well, he's keeping two things from you. How many trees were in that garden? How much fruit were they able to eat? All of it except these two. That's a power issue. Well, you're not going to keep those two from me. And we do this all the time. This is a power issue. Power started way back then. And, frankly, it extends to today, where humans continue to gain um, power and wealth by corrupt means. I was thinking about this the other day, and as I was growing up, <clears throat> there were certain things that we were taught to respect. Flag, um, government authorities, police officers, um, the high school principal, and the superintendent, and even our teachers. And you know, I, I mean, There was a certain amount of respect that we, that we were taught. And our parents observed it as well. And I see all of that eroding. And at the same time, I see organizations and thing in, in um, entities and institutions that have authority who are abusing their authority. I see both things happening at the same time. And it deeply, deeply saddens me. I had hoped we were better than that. But the fact of the matter is, we're human. All of us. 
and we're subject to our own self-interests. You see, here's the, here's the problem that we have with an Ishbosheth, and especially Abner. In this particular system of government, God chooses the king, not human beings. God is the one who puts the anointing on that, that person through the prophetic word. This was strictly God's domain, and here humanity is trying to take power from that. Do you see that? There is a cosmic battle that's going on here. It's not just David versus the household of of Saul. It's not just civil war. But there's a cosmic thing where human beings are once again attempting to wrest away the power that God has just by virtue of the fact that he's God. By the way, good luck with that, okay? Let's just be honest about it. But here in the story, it becomes very apparent. Ishbosheth is a puppet. That's it. And Abner is attempting to, to deal, in human levels, something that is definitely spiritual. And so unfortunately for Israel, civil war continued. And, and here's the, the verse in 2 Samuel chapter 3. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. And yeah, it's great. David grew stronger and stronger. Well, the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And yeah, we hear that politically, but how many people had to die? For what? I understand how human politics work. And by the way, David isn't fully king until chapter 5, by the way. We'll get to that at some point. Chapter 5. So for the first five chapters, Israel is still at war with itself. It's so interesting to me that human beings are so consistent over time. (laughs) I was watching, I don't know, it was probably a YouTube or TikTok. No, I don't have TikTok, but it was YouTube. It's a YouTube video. (coughs) Yeah, I'll be on YouTube, but I won't sully myself with TikTok, right? Whatever. Whatever. But I was, I was watching this, this particular video, um, and it was, uh, it was an academic. I wish I could remember the person's name. And, and he was railing, I, I believe he was an atheist, and he was railing against people who decided to, to um, take their cues from, quote, old books. And he meant the Bible. And his thought was that old books are irrelevant and human beings have evolved. Really? I mean, really. Now, we have evolved in ways of killing each other. We're a lot more efficient than we used to be. And we have great ways of demonizing one another. But it seems to me that it's pretty much the same that it's always been. (laughs) 3,000 years and we still fight, we still have corruption, and guess what? Human beings still sin. I'm not sure a whole lot has changed. And I'm reading through the story about specifically David and how he comes to power and how he has to deal with very human sorts of things. And I want to offer a couple of thoughts, things that have kind of crossed my mind. The first thing I want you to notice um, that while God chose David and made him king, like we said, not everybody's on board with that right? Not everybody is on board with him being king. 
And here's the, here's the lesson. Just because it's God pl- God's plan doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And sometimes I think, okay, let me rephrase that. Sometimes I fall into the trap that if God has mapped something out, if God has told me something, if God has set forth um, a path or a direction, that somehow he's going to remove all the obstacles and it's going to be easy. Yeah, y'all are laughing because you've had the same thought, right? How'd that work out? It's not easy. It's not all easy. And... Um, of course, sometimes miracles occur. Let, let's be honest. Now, we love when that happens, right? You know, but we really like when the miracles occur. But usually, following God involves some type of challenge. And, and the story that I'm constantly reminded of, we read every, at every Christmas time, right? Mary gets visited by an angel. And the angel basically says, you're going to have a child, and this is going to be Holy Spirit, and she asked the question, how's this going to happen? Because, you know, <clears throat> I'm not married, and I'm not spending any time with, you know, males. And, you know, don't worry about it. Nothing's impossible with God. Can you imagine the type of social uh, criticism that she received over a period of time? I mean, oh yeah, immaculate conception, right? You know, the eye rolling, that sort. It's a small town. Nazareth ain't that big, and some of you who lived in a small town, you know that everybody all up in everybody else's business, and that's what we have happening there. And I kept thinking to myself, Mary gets this amazing moment, but just because she has literally God Himself through His angel tell her something did not make that any easier. And so sometimes I think we fall into the trap that if God gives us a vision or God gives us an idea, (laughs) we think it's going to be easy. But it's not. There's always challenge. Why? Why do you suppose that is? Why do you think God does that for us? Well, here's my thought, is that I think there are lessons in the struggle. There are things that God wants us to know that if we don't go through the struggle, we're not necessarily going to understand everything by the time we get to the end of whatever it is, whatever it is that he's trying to teach us. And so think of it this way, is that God is more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. I hate that. Can I just be honest? I really hate that. I like comfort a lot. But the point is, is that God says, no, no, I want to build something in you. I want there to be a, a part of you that's my character. In fact, you know, that part of you, David, that you really like that comfort, I actually want to remove that because what that does is that keeps you, that comfort keeps you from actually doing all of the things that I have in mind for you. Okay, I got it. So I got to go through character things, just like you do. So if you're wondering why it's hard, that's why. In fact, I would say this. For those of you who play video games, you know that you are going in the right direction when you encounter the resistance. When you, when you, when you encounter the other characters trying to kill you, right? And you're playing your video game, right? You know you're going in the right direction when you actually find the conflict. And so too it is with life. 
is that when you are following God and you are seeing these things occur and you know in your heart that God's got his hand on whatever it is that you're doing and it's difficult, you're probably going in the right direction. Why? Because God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. And you don't typically find character in comfort. I wish that weren't the case. Maybe that's what heaven's like, right? Yeah, that would be cool. So, that would be awesome. As followers of Jesus, we, we must, we might want to expect challenge, to expect struggle, and to expect even opposition. We might want to do that. In fact, I know that in, in points in the past where I've really felt like God has spoken or God is moving in, in, in some way, I'm, I'm beginning to say, okay, where's the op- opposition? And then <laughs> to take it before the Father and say, okay, God, I know that if you're in this, it's going to be a challenge. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle it? And see where we're getting. I'm learning how to be preemptive on that. I'm, I still don't have it right. I, I still have a long way to go. But I am finding that that's the best place for me. That's the place where I'm going to learn the most. Difficulty doesn't mean you're wrong. Difficulty doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't mean that you're misguided or misdirected. It just means that there's an opportunity for growth. Yeah. Secondly, I want you to notice the very opening words. David hears of the death of Saul. He writes the lament, and it says, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, Go up, David says, where? To Hebron. The Lord wants to speak into and to guide your life. He wants to do that. I think it's really important that we understand that when David was faced with the opportunity to take power, the first thing he did was inquire of the Lord. Now think about it. A few years ago, prophet comes, anoints you with oil, says you're the next king. The current king is gone. If that were me, I'd be jumping all over that. Let's go. But that's not what David did. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. He was loyal to God. And so he says, what do you want me to do? He inquired of the Lord first before he made any other action. I think that's telling about who he is. And I think it it is very telling about the nature of God that he actually answered, go up. Shall I go up to Judah? Yep, go up. Where should I go? Hebron. Notice that it wasn't just one question. Sometimes the Lord will give you a little bit as an invitation for you to ask more. So here's the thing. David inquires of the Lord, shall I go do this? And the Lord basically says yes. Hey, he could have left it at that. Gathered up his wives and his kids and his men and just moved north. But he didn't do that. The second question is, where? Don't be... That's what I want to say here. I think this is really important. Don't miss the opportunity of the second and third questions. Because as you begin to drill down, as you begin to have a relationship with God and you ask him more and he gives you more information, there's almost always this idea that there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more. God wants a conversation and he does want to speak into your life. 
And I think that that is absolutely, completely fundamental as a starting point for all discipleships. I guess I want to to know the purpose of following God and being a disciple. I think this is really kind of an important thought. I I don't have the wording right on this yet. I, I don't feel like I do. But there's this this notion of we still feel like God is separate from us and that we got to figure things out on our own. And I think that what God is saying is, no, I just need you to ask me a little bit more. Don't be afraid to ask, but don't be afraid to keep asking. Had a conversation with some dear friends just the other day. We were talking about this very thing. And, and this person said to me, I felt like the Lord said this. And so I know I have to be obedient and say yes. And the first thing that crossed my mind is, yeah, but what's the next question? And I asked her this. I said, I don't think that, I mean, I think you need to say yes to God. Don't, I'm, I'm not telling you not to. But if the Lord told you that, I think it's okay to ask him why. Or why now? That's a great question to ask. But the point is, is that God isn't looking to just give you directives. God is looking for a conversation and he wants to speak into your life. Sometimes he'll tell you things, sometimes he won't. That's up to God. But the point is, don't abandon the conversation early. Keep asking. I think that's an important part of discipleship. Now, please don't misunderstand. It's not always easy to do that because sometimes we're a bundle of emotions and I want God to answer me right now. And you have to learn how to cultivate that relationship. You have to learn to hear what his voice sounds like. And I, and I hear this all the time from people. They're like, well, how do I know that it's really God's voice and it's not my voice? Well, God's voice actually sounds like your voice because you guys are sharing the same space in your head and in your heart. And what you're looking for is that content of that. What is God saying? And, and you will find a certain amount of resonance to it. The point is, you got to start somewhere. And just start by asking those questions and seeing the kinds of responses that you get. Process it with God. Process it with people that you, that you love. Now, <clears throat> we presume, we should presume, that God wants to speak and to guide us. Okay, This is crucial to understand. So a few weeks ago, you might have remembered that we began praying for a kids' ministry director. Oh, and by the way, I'm happy to report we've had a couple great conversations with some really good candidates, and I hope we're getting close. So keep praying, because we we really need that particular person on staff. But the premise that we have in that prayer is this. Thrive belongs to God. It's not David's church. It's not Dan's church. It's not the board's church. This is Jesus. He's the head of the church. And if he's head of the church, he's probably got some ideas about who he wants on staff. Does this make sense? I mean, this seems like basic stuff, and yet we don't operate that way, right? And so what we want to do is we want to start by saying that God, Thrive belongs to you. You're the leader. Who do you want? We want who you want in this particular role. And God gets to choose that. And sometimes it's really hard 
to continue to follow him and to hear what he has to say. And so we ask him. We inquire of the Lord. And we want to continue to do that as a church. I do this every week for messages, and I know that Dan does it for his music. Tim, I'm sure that you probably did too. You probably said, Lord, what do you want me to sing? And, and he'll give you ideas and, and that sort of thing. Now, let me tell you a quick story, because this, this, this just happened this week. I love it when that, when that occurs, when you have an illustration that happened recently, because then I don't have to go too far back in my memory bank, right? Because things get a little clouded when that happens. But this just happened this week. So I knew that we were going to do King David, and I got real excited because in 2 Samuel chapter 1, there's a lot of history. There are these people, they're called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites have this fascinating history with Israel. And I was really excited about it. And most of you know that I really like doing, you know, kind of the historical work and trying to put things into context to try to understand them and that sort of thing. And so I ended up doing quite a bit of research on, on the Amalekites. Because, you know, I'd heard the name, but I really didn't know where they came from, and I wanted to know a little bit more about that. I was getting real excited because there's lots of material on, on the Amalekites. And so I'm writing this down, and I've got some notes and some things that are going on. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. Where, where am I going to land this thing? Because this sounds like an awful lot like a history lecture, which would be cool, but that ain't preaching. And I thought to myself, huh, God, what do you want to say? Great question, right? I realized that I hadn't inquired of the Lord, and it's his church. And I immediately kind of went, oh, that means I got to keep reading. (laughs) He always does that to me. And then I realized that there was some beautiful things that he wanted to say to Thrive Church in 2 Samuel chapter 2. I just hadn't read far enough. Why? Because I hadn't inquired. Does that make sense? Now, it might be a, a silly little example, but if the Lord wants me to say something, then I really have to know what his point is, not my point. And yeah, I can get excited about all the historical aspect to it, and I do think that it adds a certain amount of richness to the text when we understand it. But it's his church. And he gets to decide what, what's said. And really, that means I've got to ask. And so it is with you in whatever your assignment is. As you deal with your spouse or your kids or your family members, as you deal with your job, as you deal with your neighbors, whatever it happens to be, God wants to actually guide and direct you. He wants to speak into your life. And really, I think most of the time he's going, oh, just ask. Come on, just ask. And again, I think all of this underscores this need to spend time in the presence of God, either individually or corporately, probably both, actually. Earlier, I mentioned um, how concerned, how disappointed I am by the things that I see in the world. I'm, I'm mostly concerned about the corruption 
I'm also very concerned about the willingness that some people are, the willingness people have to accept certain, I would call them Marxist ideas. And I'm finding that the church is not exempt from some of these things. And given a recent Supreme Court decision, it's probably going to get uglier. And yet, I also see something else. <clears throat> something that's a bit surprising. I don't know why it is, but it is. In the midst of the turmoil and the chaos and the confusion and the rhetoric and just the vile things that are going on, not just on a, on a global level, but also on a, on a local level and a personal level sometimes too, I see something else that's occurring. And I'm not sure what to make of it, but God is up to something. In the midst of the chaos, God is up to something. I'm absolutely sure of it. In my heart, I know that it is, it's true because I'm hearing things from a variety of different places, and they're all kind of saying the same thing, that God is on the move in some way, shape, or form. He's making his presence known, um, not globally, but locally and personally. And he's stirring the hearts and minds of his people just a little bit. I, I heard it again last night when we were with some friends. And I'm seeing this over and over, and I'm talking to other pastors around the country, and I'm seeing it, and they're saying, well, yeah, there's, there's something that's happening. We're feeling the presence of God in, in service. Or I have this conversation with someone, and I'm like, wow, that's really amazing. And, and in spite of the chaos, God is up to something. And I don't know why I'm surprised, because Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Spirit of God hovered over the, the deep, which is the Jewish idea of chaos. And God spoke order into it. So in the midst of the chaos, why wouldn't God be on the move? This is, where, this is, this is what he does best, as he begins to move when things are chaotic. And I don't want to miss it because I'm worried by what I see, what I hear, what I read. And neither should you. So put down your phones. <laughs> Maybe pick up your Bible, just a thought. Or your journal, right? Start asking God some questions. And I'm, I take a certain amount of comfort in the fact because David did not have it easy. David is anointed king and then spent, I don't know, 15 years more on the run, dealing with a maniacal leader who wants him dead. His father-in-law, by the way, right? Wants him dead. And he, he's dealing with all of this, and, God's, and he, he still chose to be loyal to God and through all that process, and I know that, that he struggled with it. We can read it in some of his psalms. But he didn't have it easy. He was under an oppressive regime. Oh, in life under Caesar for Jesus and the disciples, that was no picnic either. So in the midst of those moments where things feel chaotic and they feel oppressive and repressive and all of that, God is still on the move. And I take a great deal of, of, of hope in that. I think that's hopeful for all of us. I'm not saying that it, it's easy, but I think we have to remind ourselves, and frankly, we need to remind each other that God is still present, he's still active, and he still wants to speak to you.
and he wants to speak to me. And so I look at the, the life of David, and I'm like, you know, here's the thing. David still has struggle that he has to go through, but he still maintains his connection to God. And God, more importantly, wants to speak to him. I can't stress this enough, brothers and sisters. It's not that God is up there with his arms folded just waiting for you to say the magic words. But rather, he's like, come on, ask me. Come on, come on, this is a relationship. This is something that I want to speak into your life. I want you to understand how to hear me. I want you to to read my word and get new things out of it. I want you to experience my presence. I want you to experience my power. And I want the people around you to do this because that's who I am. And if we don't start from that premise, we are going to miss out on everything. Let's not do that. God, Thrive Church is your church. These are your people and they love you. And Lord, my prayer is that they would take a page from David and realize that you are speaking to them constantly. That you have something to say to them. That you have something that you want to build in their hearts. You have character that you want to develop. You have, <laughs> you have power to spare. And you have things that you want them to be a part of and that for whatever reason, you have chosen them to be not only your sons and daughters, but also the instruments of your kingdom in the world today. That this is not just some type of words that we read, but you are living, and you are active, and you are desiring to be with your people. It has always been that way from the moment that you walked with Adam and Eve in the garden to the moment that you Uh, Put your glory on the tabernacle when you were with your people, Israel, and, and when you were in the form of Jesus walking with disciples and, and others, and, and now your Holy Spirit indwells each one of us so that we can actually be with you. Oh God, help us not to miss out on the things that you have in mind for each one of us. That when we when we read and when we see the insanity that seems to have gripped the world around us. You're still there. You're still holding us together. You still have an idea about what you want to do in the world and that there is salt and light that others need. God, don't let us miss out on that. Don't let us miss out what you're trying to speak to our individual hearts. And I pray, Lord, that as people experience your stirring today, they wouldn't be afraid of it and they wouldn't ignore it, that they would simply begin the conversation. God, what do you have in mind? Lord, may we never be afraid to inquire of you. And Lord, I pray that we would be sense enough to hear what you have to say. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.